Make a joyful noise to the Lord all the earth. Break forth into joyous song and sing praises. Sing praises to the Lord with the lyre, with the lyre and the sound of melody, with trumpets and the sound of the horn. Make a joyful noise before the King, the Lord. Let the sea roar and all that fills it, the world and those who dwell in it. Let the rivers clap their hands. Let the hills sing for joy together before the Lord. For he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world with righteousness and the peoples with equity. And from Romans 8. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. Not only creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we eagerly wait for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. The hope that is seen is not hope for who hopes for what he sees. But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Lord, in your kindness and in your mercy, we pray and ask that in this moment you would do the thing that only you can do. Lord, and that thing is that by the power of your spirit that you would shine light on these words in your word, that you would shine light on the words that I have prepared. Would you, in this moment, make these words alive? And Lord, would you shine light in places in our hearts where light needs to be shown would you use all of this tonight to give us great hope in our Lord Jesus? And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. You've probably been around Grace Fellowship long enough to know that sermons here follow a little bit of a formula. You notice that? So normally me or someone else, but I'll just speak for my formula. Um, I, I come up here and I share some sort of illustration. It's like an introductory story. Sometimes it's something from my life. Um, sometimes it's something I've noticed. Sometimes it's something I've read or, or seen. You know, pastors just kind of keep an endless log of these little things you notice that hopefully can become something of a window to get into a biblical text. So I'll share some sort of story with you. So as an example, me even telling you about this little formula is my version of doing this right now. 
But I have these illustrations that uh, get us into whatever it is the pastor is talking about. But one of the things that you notice often when you preach is that the Bible itself will provide for you the best illustrations. And I mention that because, very briefly, there's a moment in Genesis, chapter 18 in particular, and the whole story is too much to unfold in this moment. But in a major moment in the story itself, Genesis chapter 18, a question is asked. And I think this question becomes a really good way to think about Psalm 98. And here's the question that's asked. The character in the biblical story simply says, Will not the judge of the earth do what is right? Will not the judge of the earth do what is right? And the rest of the Bible, keep in mind, that's in Genesis. It's a foundational book. The rest of the Bible will go about answering that question. Will the judge of the earth, our Lord, will he not do what is right? The Bible will spend its pages answering that question with a very strong, of course, he will. And I'm here to tell you tonight that that answer, of course he will, the exclamation point of that answer. So, of course he will, to, of course he will, the exclamation point mm, is Psalm 98. Psalm 98 is, a, is an exclamation point. It is a song that celebrates God, our Lord, and it celebrates him particularly because he is the judge. We're going to unfold this as we go tonight. It's one of the things about God that the scriptures proclaim over and over again. It's like the Bible is particularly proud of this part about him. And every now and then, you come across a biblical passage or a character quality of God, God is judge, that just meets perfectly maybe the world's deepest need. See, because there's lots of things in our world that aren't what they're supposed to be, and therefore we need a judge and a judge who will do what's right. Y'all see what I'm saying here? So we're going to get into it, Psalm 98. And here's the main thing I want you to hear. If you don't hear anything else that I say, this is the part that I don't want you to miss. It's a simple point. I don't want you to miss it. Here's the main thing. This is what this sermon is about. It's the beautiful truth that Jesus Christ is the true and righteous judge. Christ is the true and righteous judge. And to unfold that idea to you, that main idea to you, I want us to ask three questions. Three questions, and we'll walk through Psalm 98 to answer the questions. So here's question number one. Will the judge of the earth do what is right? Psalm 98 is going to say, of course, and we'll talk about that. Question number two is the question, well, how do you know? How do you know he'll do what's right? The answer to the question, as we'll see, is because he already has. In Christ, he's already done what is right and will continue to do it fully and finally until he returns one day. 
And then the third question I want to answer tonight is the simple question. It's the question aimed at your heart. It's just the question, okay, so what? Will the judge of the earth do what is right? How do you know, Joel? Third, so what? What does that mean for me? And that's how we'll travel through it. So first, question first. Will the judge of the earth do what is right? Psalm 98 celebrates that he, in fact, will. So let's take a look at Psalm 98 together. Look at verse 1. We'll see this formula that we continue to see in these psalms. It begins with a call to worship in verse 1. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. It doesn't mean it has to be a brand new song that goes on a screen or in a worship guide that you've never sung before, although that's good to do. I think paying attention to God and his goodness and his promises generates creativity like songwriting. But it particularly means to sing with a fresh voice. You know the ways in which you come in here sometimes and you sing songs we've always sung before and we've sung them again and again, but in that moment you sing it almost freshly because the truth of that song has really become apparent to you in a powerful way, say, Thursday. And you walk in and when you sing it, you mean it on a different level. That's what the Bible means when it talks about a new song. We can always sing new songs because there are always new mercies every day. Sing to the Lord a new song because he has done marvelous things. The Bible will never ask us to worship God in sort of abstract idea land, but rather God in all his holy and righteous character is not an idea, but a person who has actually done things. I was talking with one of my kids recently and um, this kid, this child of mine who remained nameless said to me, why do we sing songs? To God, and I said, because He's done things. She's like, He does things. Or this child of mine said, uh, he does things. And I said, Yes, Millie. <laughs> he's done things. That's the promise of the God we serve. He's actually done real things for you and for me. In particular, verse 2, he has worked, or he has made known his salvation. In particular here in verse 2, he has revealed his righteousness in the sight of the nations. So the song is, is, is asking us to celebrate and to sing on the basis of the fact that God has revealed his righteousness. Okay, psalmist, what do you mean by that? God's righteousness is an interesting idea in the Bible. It is more than the fact that he always does what's morally right, though that is true. The idea that God is righteous or God's righteousness has to do with the fact that his character and his actions are always aligned. See, one of the tragedies of being a human person is that we can act in ways that are out of keeping with our character. We can be something we're not sometimes. But the glorious news is that God can never be that. He can never act outside of who he is. And this psalm is trying to get us to see that God is showing that part of his self his righteousness, the 
fact that he's always in line. He's always constantly showing it and putting it on display. He's putting it on display locally, like with his people. But he does it locally in order to put it on display universally to all nations everywhere. Look at verse 2 with me again. He has revealed his righteousness in the sight of the nations. That's the universal part. And he revealed that, verse 3. Look with me at verse 3. Because he remembered his steadfast love and faithfulness to the house of Israel. And because he did that for Israel, all the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. Notice the way it travels from the local to the universal to the local to the universal. See, God was doing righteous acts to love his particular people, Israel, as a means by which Israel would become a blessing for all the world. In the same way, he does particular things, righteous acts for us, his people, so that his acts for us as his people can be a means by which we, his people, become those who bless all the world. The Bible will constantly work this local to the universal angle. There was a a hymn writer who was writing in the 1700s who spent time devotionally reading Psalm 98. and He he wrote a hymn. There's, There's a line in the hymn where this hymn writer says, quote, He rules the world with truth and grace. And makes the nations prove the glories of his righteousness and the wonders of his love. That's a line from Joy to the World, by the way. That's the idea here. God is faithful to us as a means by which he shows his faithfulness, not just to us, but to all the world. Verse 4 to 6 offers another call to worship. This is a bonus psalm because there's two calls to worship. Here's the second one. It's verses 4, 5, and 6. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Break forth into joy, song, and sing praises. The Bible envisions praise being kind of a loud, loud singing. Sing praises to the Lord with the lyre, with the lyre and the sound of melody. Again, it's musical instruments. It goes on to say trumpets and the sound of the horn. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the world. Make a joyful noise before the King, the Lord. Again, the psalmist imagines loud singing. It imagines instruments singing praise to God, and then it goes on to invite the whole created order in on the symphony, you might say. Look at verse 7. Let the seas roar and all that fills it. Let the world and those who dwell in it. Let the rivers clap their hands. Let the hills sing for joy together before the Lord. The idea is it's just it's building intensity. Sing, play something, grab an instrument, Yell, shout. Oh, by the way, rivers, skies, seas, get in on the action here. Let the seas roar. Think the pounding waves that that pound in the Atlantic Ocean that pound the rocks alongside the 
craggy, jagged, rocky shores of Maine. If you're more of a West Coast person, think about the pounding of the waves of the Pacific Ocean that crash into the rocks in California. The rivers. Think about the Snake River. This is a river that begins as these little creeks and brooks in the Beartooth Mountains of southwestern Montana and begins to flow and carve its way through the Grand Tetons in western Wyoming. Snake River, by the way, get in on the action. The hills. Has anybody ever traveled on the Blue Ridge Parkway between like Elizabethtown, Kentucky, and Lexington? The rolling green hills. I don't know if there are Kentucky people here, but there was a lot of big shaking his heads. The Bible will convince us over and over again that all of those places, and you can fill in the blank about the places that are particularly special for you, all of those places woke up this morning in order to praise God and to invite you into praising Him too. The same hymn writer, when reflecting on Psalm 98, wrote the words, and I quote, No more let sin and sorrows grow, nor thorns infest the ground, because he comes to make his blessings flow far as the curse is found. Those created places sing praise to God, but those created places also are groaning. We read in Romans. They're groaning to see the world finally and fully redeemed. Can you imagine what those places will be like when they're renewed and restored in their fullness? Can you imagine that? So psalmist is inviting, sing songs, grab an instrument. Hey, seas, rivers, shades creek here, birds, skies, join in on the act. Why? Why should they? And here it comes. Verse 9, come and sing together before the Lord. Why? Why should they? Because he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world with righteousness and the peoples with equity. The whole point of this whole psalm, inviting the whole of creation to join in and praise God, is because God is judge. And let's talk about that for a second. The fact that our Lord is judge is one of the central things we confess in our faith. In just a few moments, we'll confess the words of the Apostles' Creed, and it will celebrate the fact that Christ will one day come. And why will he come? What does the Creed say? So that he can judge the living and the dead. What does this mean? See, I think this character quality of God, the fact that he is a judge, makes us a little uncomfortable. And here's the why, here's why I think it makes us a little uncomfortable. It's because we're acquainted with people who possess power and authority, who use it in ways to harm. But remember the critical question here is, will not the judge do what is right? In other words, if this judge of the earth, the Lord, is going to judge in righteousness, 
He's going to judge according to what's morally right. If he's going to judge in such a way that his actions always align with his character. If he's going to judge in such a way that he's going to judge all peoples with righteousness and justice and equity. The logic of the Bible is if that's the kind of judge we're talking about, then absolutely 100% please come and judge. And, And don't wait. So we get nervous about a human acting as judge because human persons are filled with unrighteousness, injustice, lack of fairness. There's no reason to be nervous about the fact that our Lord will be the judge. In fact, the Bible will say over and over and over again, It will cry out to the Lord as a prayer. Judge my cause, Lord. You see my life. You see what's happening. You see my groanings. You see my aches. You see my pains. Please come down and judge my cause here. See, the fact that God will act as judge is so helpful. And it's so hopeful. Because what it means is we can let God be God. And we can know that he will straighten it out. Whatever it is that makes you groan so badly, he will straighten it out. Will the judge of the earth do what is right? Psalm 98 is saying, of course, exclamation. Sing and celebrate. That's all question one. Question two and three will move a little faster. Question two, I hear you, Joel. I'm reading Psalm 98, but, but how do you know? Is there more? And the answer is, yes, there's more. How do you know that the judge of the earth will do what is right? See, Psalm 98 becomes like a sign that points us to the person and work of Jesus. And how do we know that question gets answered with, because he already has. You see, Jesus Christ comes on the scene, and he comes on the scene acting as the true and righteous judge. He shows up on the scene, and he does what is right. His actions and his character are in alignment always. It's amazing to see. You can read the gospel stories. As he goes in and out of conversations and meetings and dinner parties, he never comes to the, to the whole idea of trying to pretend he's something he's not or saying one thing and doing another. He never does that. And of course, when he works his way to the cross, the cross becomes God's ultimate judgment. See, because in the cross, he does perfectly what he promises to do. So he wants to be in relationship with sinners like you and me. That's a desire he has in his character. So now he has to have an action that aligns. And the cross becomes that action that makes sinners right with him. That puts sinners in fellowship with him. On the cross he does what he promises. And he puts on display another feature of his character. The unending grace and mercy and love of God. See on the cross he acts as judge. 
in the fact that he judges and destroys, the Bible teaches us, the devil's works. The language is strong. He obliterates the power of evil and sin and death and darkness. And he does even more than that. He gives to people like you and me his righteousness. His very righteousness, the ability to act rightly. By the power of the Spirit, he makes us into those kinds of people. And he does this in two stages. First of all, when he comes, goes to the cross, when he's raised from the dead, when he ascends to the right hand of the Father, but he promises to do it in a second stage, fully and finally, when he comes, when he returns, to make all things new and right. See, there are lots of wrongs in the world, but those wrongs will be answered and righted fully and finally at his coming. How do you know, Joel, that the judge of the earth will do what is right because he already has and because he's in the process of already doing it and because he will do it fully and finally one day? That's how. Will the judge of the earth do what is right? Of course he will. How do we know? Because of Jesus. Question number three. Okay, Joel, sounds great. So what? And I want to take a moment just to speak just to your heart. And we invite you. Invite of these truths. I want to invite you to become by the power of God's spirit. I invite you to become people who pray. See, I know that in this room there are groanings. There are aches and pains. There are things that we have done and there are things we've left undone. And here's the honest truth. There are things that have been done to us. And I think Psalm 98 invites us to be people who pray. Pray, oh Lord, would you judge? Would you judge my cause? If there's something in your life that you're particularly aching about, let me just encourage you to be a person who says to God regularly, Will you judge my cause? So what? Become a person of prayer. So what? You're going to have to become a person who learns to wait. See, see, the day when Christ will come and make all things new and right, that apparently wasn't today. Or it's not yet up into this moment. And so you and I are like the creation. We are groaning in waiting for his return. The Christian life, I've said this to you maybe 500 times, is a waiting life. Let me put it to you this way. If you still have groanings, that doesn't mean the Lord has failed. It means he's not yet finished. we become a people who wait.
Finally, I think so what? I think so what? The call of Psalm 98 to be people of prayer, the invitation to be people who wait, and then finally to be a people who rejoice. We rejoice because we know what will be one day. And we have hope. And hope, as we have said so many times in this room, is not the expression of a desire for something we're not sure of. It is confidence in something we're very sure of, that Christ will one day come to judge the living and the dead. And the fact that we know that is the case, and all our groaning will be met with comfort. All of our groanings will be met with redemption. The redemption of our bodies, Romans 8 says. All the things that press and stress and spoil and ruin will be done away with fully and finally. The fact that those things are coming to us out there somewhere has a way of traveling its way back to today to give us something we can cling to and find strength in. That is what the Bible means when it says hope. And so we can become a people who rejoice, who sing and sing loudly because we're a people of hope. Will the judge of the earth do what is right? Of course he will. How do you know because of Jesus? So what? Pray, wait, rejoice. Amen. Let's pray.